Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Hello, my friends. I have an awesome interview lined up for you today. Um, I've got Kaylee McDevitt back on the show. She was with us for episode 58, uh, Women's Hormones, when she did a big spotlight on PCOS, HA, and other hormone-related stuff. And it was a really good show. And I invited her back to talk about anxiety, which is the name of the game for today's show. It's so common. Um, and the more I talk about anxiety, the more I realize that a lot of people are struggling with it. And it feels as though that there's been a big uptick in people experiencing anxiety. So we're going to talk about why that is, some of the the potential reasons for it. I, I love Kaylee. Um, I really deeply respect her. She's a smart cookie. Since she's been on the show before, I'm not going to go into the big um, the big backstory and her whole bio and all of that, but she is a registered dietitian who focuses on women's health, and she does a lot with the functional nutrition and functional medicine piece. Um, I was thinking to myself that if I were ever to invite somebody on to the show to be a co-host, uh, she would be the first person I would reach out to. I just feel like we're... The two of us are in lockstep with how we approach clinical practice and how we think about things, and you'll probably catch wind of this during our conversation today. So um, I do have a pretty deep history with anxiety, and I I don't want to get too much into the weeds here um, as I intro the show, Uh, but in my late teens and early 20s, I experienced debilitating panic attacks. Very fortunately, I was with a friend, the first panic attack I ever got, who had also experienced them. So she knew what was going on. She knew how to talk me through it. Uh, She knew to bring me to the emergency room and call my mom. So I was in a really safe and supportive place because when you experience anxiety, it feels like something's physically really wrong. Um, I thought I was dying. So uh, for me, it was really a manifestation of the way that I was living my life at the time. There was a lot of partying, there was a lot of drinking, and there was some recreational drug use. And that certainly takes its toll on your body. And I think the way that my body communicated that to me was through panic attacks. Um, the reason that I was was part, participating in all of those activities was because I did have anxiety. And looking back, I did for sure experience low-grade anxiety as a child. And I had a lot of stomach aches um, growing up. And that can be a really... Uh, a really big clue for children that they're experiencing anxiety if they're they're complaining about stomach aches. Um, I also had an unidentified 
gluten allergy in my diet was very gluten forward. So that certainly played into the GI issues as well, but the anxiety did too. Um, and I think that I did a lot of things to compensate for that anxiety without actually knowing. Um, and, and probably the alcohol use was one of those things. Uh, I did start medication around that time and I was medicated for a few years. I was on antidepressants and anti-anxieties like Xanax. And um, unfortunately, my experience was that um, my physicians and psychiatrists were willing to put me on the medication without really talking about um, any of the inner deeper work. So I wasn't in talk therapy. I wasn't doing CBT. I wasn't doing any of the things to really actively change the things that were causing anxiety or even investigate the anxiety for that matter. So the the pills certainly helped soothe down my anxiety so I could be a functioning human in society. But once I took myself off of the pills and weaned myself off of the medication, I realized that I had a lot of work to do. And Fortunately, at that time, I had built out the infrastructure in my life to to have that support um, through therapy, through meditation, and through other different types of healing modalities. So certainly wasn't an easy journey, but I'm glad for it. Um, and I'm not make, taking a stance for or against any uh, type of medication here. I'm just simply ex- explaining my experience to lead up into the show and why this is such a uh, a big topic for me um, and such a passion point for me personally. So with that said, um, before we jump into the interview, I do want to introduce a new friend and podcast sponsor, uh, Houston Enzymes. I've been using Houston Enzymes. You guys have heard me talk about digestive enzymes quite a bit, no doubt. And I've been using them for a couple of years now. And I love them so much that I actually contacted the company and been like, hey, do you want to support my show? Because I'm a huge, huge fan. So the one that I love, if I had to recommend one of their products, it would be the Trienza because it's a really broad spectrum digestive enzyme. It helps the body break down certain foods. So it will help you break down proteins, carbohydrates, sugars, lactose, polyphenols, fats, and fiber. That's what I mean by broad spectrum. It kind of covers all bases. But the reason that I really love this one is because it also contains DPP-4, which is an enzyme that breaks down casomorphins from casein and gluteomorphins from gluten. So I, every single time I eat out at a restaurant or I eat takeout or I go to somebody else's house to eat, I always have these with me to safeguard myself against cross-contamination. I've been quote unquote glutened before and it's awful. I'm very uh, immune sensitive to gluten. So I have to um, just make sure I really take care of myself in these these enzymes have been tremendously helpful for me and they were so kind to offer a discount. So if you go to their website, houstonenzymes.com, you can apply the coupon code HOUSTON20 to save 20% off of your first order. So I would definitely take advantage of that. I get asked about digestive enzymes a lot and this is the way to go. All right, so let's get into my convo with Kaylee. 
Okay, Kaylee, welcome back to the show. Um, Everybody loved your first episode where you talked about female hormones and PCOS and all that good stuff. So I'm really pumped to bring you back on today to talk about anxiety. You're such a wealth of knowledge. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to chat with you again, too. It's always fun. And your Instagram uh, Instagram game is on point lately. If you guys love infographics, (laughs) you have to head over to her Instagram immediately. I'll link to it in the show notes. So good. I appreciate it. I have a I have an obsession with making infographics, so I'm happy other people like to look at them. It, they're so good. I hate stuff like that. I'm just not. That is not my skill set, mm-hmm. and I'm always amazed by how good everything looks that you I put out. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, okay, so we'll we'll be talking about anxiety today, like I said already. But um, I'm assuming that since you started talking more about anxiety and um, and what people need to be aware of. I'm assuming you have some sort of backstory and some sort of history with anxiety. Yes, totally. And I, you know, I I used to tiptoe around this topic because, you know, I was trying to stay in the women's health bubble. And then I realized like anxiety is in the women's health bubble. And I'm sure you see it in your clients too, but that is a freaking common symptom among the women that I work with. Totally. Yeah. And I just realized like, you know what, I need to dedicate a little bit more time to talking about this and giving people some resources, particularly because I had a personal story along these lines. Um, And so I really only recently started to talk about that. And it's been, it's helpful for me, you know, it's, it's therapeutic for me, but also really helpful to connect to other women that are dealing with similar symptoms. I kind of feel like anxiety is the new stress. Like we used to say, you know, we're so stressed, we're so stressed. And now it's like, we're so anxious. Like everybody's Mm -hmm. really willing to come forward and be like, I'm an anxious mess. Yes, you're right about that. Do you um, tell us a little bit more about your experience with anxiety? Were you having panic attacks or was it more of like this low grade thing where you're like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't quite feel right. Yeah, I I think it started definitely as a low grade thing where I just didn't feel right. And um, I think I would always have classified myself as as a more anxious person or somebody that tended toward anxiety even growing up. But it didn't really get on my radar until um, I was in the, my internship to become a dietitian, and then I had started my master's. So I was like interning during the day, going to class at night. And I just remember sitting in class and I would feel like for me, the symptom was always like a really profound, um, like noticing my heart rate. Like I was just so aware of it and it would be like pounding out of my chest and I would be so focused on my heartbeat And thinking, oh my God, like, am I having a heart attack right now as I'm sitting in class, like trying to take notes and I'd have to like slow down my breathing or like get up and go walk because movement, like moving my body helped me dissipate that like nervous energy. And eventually it would subside. I'd be able to go back to class. Um, Sometimes it would happen to me in the middle of the night and wake me up and I'd have to talk myself down. Um, And this just continued like off and on. And I really wasn't tracking anything in terms of when it happened or what might have triggered it at that point. I just kept like hoping it would go away. And I ended up moving out to California and I, I finished my master's out here, but was working during the day as my first job as a dietitian. And our office was actually above an urgent care. And I remember on multiple occasions, I'd be seeing a client. And I'd feel this coming on and it would be like heart racing. I'd start sweating. That's all I could focus on. And I'd be like, do I need to go downstairs and admit myself into this urgent care or call an ambulance? Because I was so convinced that it was a heart attack. And 
I broke down and decided to make an appointment with a cardiologist. I went and demanded this full workup. Like I did every test imaginable. And he was like, you know what? Your heart is good. I think this might be anxiety. And I just had not considered that to be an option until that point. And so that's really what started me researching what my potential root causes of anxiety were. And for me personally, it had a lot to do with hormones and birth control and nutrient deficiencies on top of some like just disrespectful lifestyle choices, like not sleeping, working out too much, not eating enough. Um, and I know we'll get in that into that today, like how all of those created a perfect storm for me. But that's really what it looked like for me. And fortunately, I can report that that's not an issue anymore. I definitely will notice my anxiety symptoms somewhat mildly creeping up if I'm not paying attention to some of those lifestyle factors. And it's a great like litmus test for how well I'm taking care of myself. But in general, I no longer consider myself to be an anxious person. And that's a really big deal. That's such a good way to put it, the litmus test. I'm, ex- I'm excited to give people some more tools to explore, to figure out what their triggers could be and how to figure mm-hmm. out, figure all those out. But I relate to everything you just said, even walking out of yeah. class with like a borderline panic attack, like all Ugh. of it. Even as recently as this summer, um, yeah. my daughter woke up in the middle of the night, which is, I know you don't have kids, but... Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when there's just like this mom adrenaline that kicks in when you're when you when you're you hear your kid yell out in the middle of the night so I went into bed with her and I remember lying in bed and my heart was racing and I'm like do I have to wake up Scott to take me to the emergency room right now like does this have to be a family affair to go to the emergency room and a year prior the same thing had happened and I went into my doctors and I was like doc I am pretty sure I'm having a heart attack and he's like "Mm." Let's ask, let me ask you some questions about what's going on in your life right now. He's like, we're going to do an EKG. It was like the 90th EKG yeah. I've gotten in my life. And he's like, so I think it's anxiety. And I'm going to give you five, I forget, like Ativan or Lorazepam or something. He's like, I know you don't like to take prescription meds. Just keep them in your kitchen cupboard. Uh-huh. And then this summer when I was lying in my daughter's bed, I'm like, okay, here's going to be here. I'm going to, I'm going to take one of those pills and it's going to tell me if, whether this is anxiety or a true heart attack. And sure enough, I felt a lot better. I'm like, oh, this is anxiety. (laughs) But to your point, it was such a wake up call for me to be like, what the hell is going on right now in my life? And there was a lot of stuff going on in my life that I really had to shore up at that time. So, um, if anyone's listening in, having a similar, you know, you can relate to what Kaylee and I have gone through. You, you're in for a real treat. So mm-hmm. something that you said on Instagram uh, that really stood out to me was that uh, the tricky thing about anxiety is that it looks different for everyone because there are many different things that can cause it, mm-hmm. which is so true. And it is kind of tricky. So I, I feel like, you know, you were just kind of talking about how women in your practice are experiencing a lot of anxiety and it, it, there does seem to be a little bit of an uptick in anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that there are major factors contributing to that? Or do you think it's a lot of different things? Like, what do you think people should be primarily aware of? Yeah, I think, you know, like you talked about, and even in my story too, we realized it was a constellation of different things that created that scenario. But if I had to like whittle that down to some of the like top few things. I know for sure that our access to technology, social media in particular, like just always being connected to a screen in some way or shape is for sure contributing to this uptick because I totally agree with you. I think anxiety is definitely on the rise. Um, So I think that's part of it. Um, Hand in hand with that is just less time in nature. Like we're not outside. We're not getting fresh air and seeing trees or 
let alone being barefoot, like just time outside. And then in our world, I think the like low calorie diets, chronic dieting, all that kind of stuff causes a big, big issue when we talk about like some of the root causes of anxiety. And we'll get into why, you know, your macronutrients and micronutrients are your best friends with keeping anxiety at bay. And I just think these decades of, of dieting messages for women in particular have done a lot of damage here. And we've got these women without the raw materials to make some neurotransmitters that could prevent anxiety. So I'd, I'd probably say those top three. Would you add anything to that? No, I think that's really pretty spot on. And I mean, I, th- I, I read a stat that it's like we're spending 90% of our lives or more inside, indoors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just not what our bodies need at all. No. Um, and also, you know, the, this constant connection to uh, to technology you know, sleeping with smartphones. I think a lot of kids sleep with their smartphones like underneath their pillow. I've oh, heard yeah. that in the teen population, which is, you know, just so bananas combined with not moving their bodies enough, combined with, you know, wonky diets, combined with not exposing themselves to nature. It's like no wonder why anxiety's on the rise, even in teens. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I agree with everything you said. And then there's this like real alarmist, I, like with the news, everything is scary. Mm, everything yeah. is anxiety provoking almost by design. I mean, just like if you think about the the current coronavirus that's going right. on, I mean, people are freaking out. And I just, we have to stop for a minute and say like, is all this stress and this fear around any given situation making the situation any better? Is it protecting us? Is it keeping us safer? It's not, mm-hmm. but we're just like layer upon layer upon layer. And then I think there's this like built-in expectation that we need to respond immediately too to like whatever it is, whether it's a text, a DM, an email. And so we're just constantly yes. hooked in. Oh which, my gosh. That Tough. feeling, I mean, even just like saying that makes me feel anxious. I know, I know. And then if you even think about like the news being so scary and fear provoking, even the shows, like the things that people binge watch on their free time, a lot of them are like really scary or intense or violent or nerve wracking programs, which don't get me wrong, like I love a good movie, a good TV show. But if we think about the fact that our brain can't distinguish between um, like a thought or something that's not real and reality, if we're bathing in that kind of stuff all the time, there's no way that's not having an impact. That is such a valid point. I, I kind of I'm glad you brought that up. Just last week, I I was talking to my husband. I'm like, I don't want to watch the show. He's like, you don't want to watch any of the shows with me. And I was like, I am sorry that I don't want to see rape or maiming right. or murder or kidnapping or child abuse in my downtime. I'm good with that. You can watch those once I go to bed. I'm good. I'm out. Like, I don't need to be constantly activating my stress response when I'm trying to be like winding down before bed. Totally. I'm all set. <laughs> and I feel like there's an uptick in those shows, too. Oh, yeah. And like our threshold for what's acceptable on those shows just keeps inching up. And then it's just, yeah, it's just a slippery slope with that. And I'm definitely not saying you can never watch these kinds of things. But if you're dealing with anxiety, it's definitely worth auditing that and just seeing like, hey, is there a correlation here for me? Really, really good point. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that wasn't on my radar to talk about today. All right. You had mentioned nutrition. You had Mm -hmm. thrown out micronutrients and macronutrients. So why don't we start there? Yeah. I think it's a good place to start. Are there specific nutrients that we should be focused on for Mm -hmm. anxiety? Um, Where do we find them in our diet? Um, Like how do we start building up 
a good diet. You said we don't, many of us don't have the raw material in order to build the appropriate neurotransmitters. So why don't you talk around that a little bit? Sure. So the neurotransmitter I'm talking about for our anxiety discussion is primarily serotonin. Um, Low serotonin levels is implicated in most cases of anxiety and also cases of depression too. So there's definitely some overlap there. So I am shocked because I thought you were going to say GABA. So now I know. I'm learning I mean, something too. That definitely will come into the conversation. And I think... <laughs> Hold your horses. <laughs> we'll get there down. for sure. Um, <laughs> it's definitely part of the conversation. But I want to start with serotonin because I think it hits the, the food piece home. Um, so serotonin is a feel-good brain chemical. And we can't build it if we're not getting enough food in general, and particularly enough of our macronutrients. And when I say macronutrients, I just mean carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And each of those categories serves a really important role when it comes to either producing serotonin or making it available for use in the brain. So the main building block of of serotonin is something called 5-HTP, and we can take that a step back, and it's made out of an amino acid called tryptophan. And if you think about like when people used to say they get sleepy after eating Thanksgiving dinner because of the tryptophan in turkey, remember that tryptophan is an amino acid, so it's a building block of protein. So it's found in protein-rich foods like turkey, other animal products, for example. And so if we're not getting enough protein consistently throughout the day, we simply don't have building blocks to make serotonin. Um, That also affects things like melatonin production too and sleep quality, but I see particularly with women, difficulty getting enough protein in during the day. Like it always seems like protein containing foods come more naturally for men where women don't gravitate toward like snacking on a turkey leg or something like that in the middle of the day. So auditing your protein intake, making sure that you've got a source of protein at all of your meals um, goes a long way when it comes to consistent serotonin production. And then fats good old healthy fats, we know that they help us make our sex hormones, but they actually help improve the availability of tryptophan in the brain so that we can actually make serotonin out of it. So if we see women with low calorie, low fat dieting, there's almost always an increase in depression and anxiety type symptoms in that population. And then carbohydrates help us keep our blood sugar balanced if done correctly. And that's a big piece of the anxiety picture that I know we'll get into. Um, But that also helps with production of serotonin too. Um, And I've found that in women that have had chronic low carbohydrate dieting, if we can just get that carbohydrate intake up for them, they see a decrease in those symptoms of anxiety and depression. Um, So that really comes from eating consistently throughout the day, keeping blood sugar stable and eating enough food for you. Um, So that low calorie chronic under eating just does not help in the anxiety situation. Um, I definitely notice anxiety increases when I drop my carbohydrates too low. Me too. Um, And and that can be cyclical, you know, for sure for me, which I know we'll talk about. But um, that's a big, big, big one for me. Um, What are your thoughts about intermittent fasting in relation in relation to anxiety, because I noticed that's another one that can be a real big trigger for anxiety for me personally. For me too. And so if I always tell people, if you're dealing with anxiety, that's not for you right now. And it doesn't mean it can never be a tool in your toolkit, but when we've, when we're dealing with anxiety, like that's a pretty loud signal from the body that it needs some nourishment, some TLC. It just needs you to take it easy. 
and intermittent fasting is not taking it easy. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. You had uh, talked about blood sugar, mm-hmm. um, and I think people will be really because I've talked a lot about blood sugar on this show and why it's so important. But how can that contribute to anxiety? Yeah. So when we're when our blood sugar is low, our body still needs to have glucose in the bloodstream to function. So it's going to do it one way or another, whether or not we actually consume carbs. So when we don't consume enough carbs or we go a really long period of time without eating and blood sugar drops, we tap into our adrenal function to dump out some cortisol, which is our stress hormone that can actually help raise blood sugar levels for us and get us through that stressful event because that's what it is for the body. And so if we throw a whole bunch of our stress hormone cortisol onto the scene, that's anxiety producing on its own. I mean, that's something that's like revving up your system, getting you ready for battle. That's a lot of like the shakiness, um, racing heart can even be like some sweating, irritability, like hanger type sensations or like that desperation for food happens as a result of that cortisol release. So on the low end with blood sugar, we definitely get an uptick in anxiety symptoms. And a lot of my clients find out through tracking their symptoms that that's actually their anxiety trigger. And if we can just be gentle with their blood sugar during the day, they have so much less anxiety, which is really great when that does the trick because that's like low hanging fruit in our world is just getting blood sugar balanced. Um, And then you definitely have some stress on the body on the high end too. I mean, when blood sugar's way up high out of range and we have to crank out a whole bunch of insulin, um, that's a stressful situation for the body too. And just think about reducing anxiety means reducing different inputs of stress on the body. And blood sugar is one that we can control like just by changing the way that we eat, which is great. Um, that I was busy writing, uh, writing down things that you were saying. <laughs> I was like, give me a second. I got to keep up. Um, that's, that's really valid. And you know what I think too? It's like people that have had anxiety, sometimes just feeling the, like feeling any type of symptom of anxiety, like even if it's like a little bit of a numbness, a little bit of tingling, um, that could be enough to trigger more anxiety. Mm-hmm. Don't you feel? Oh, yeah. And I think that, bl- uh, definitely for me and a lot of my clients, when we hit those low blood sugar dips, um, we can start to feel a little spacey. Uh, for me, I have really extreme light sensitivity, especially when I'm driving, like weird things start to happen. And then I'm like, "Uh Oh, this is anxiety. And then it kind of like Mm. triggers more anxiety. So it's a little bit of this, this loop. And I find that if I'm really good about regulating my blood sugar and for me and a lot of my clients, as you said, it's, it has a lot to do with eating protein consistently throughout the day, because I've found the same to be true is that like my husband will definitely snack on like lunch meats or salami or like what are, um, you know, like turkey sticks and Mm -hmm. and beef sticks and jerky and stuff like that. And I just really don't do that. Like I would much rather have something else for a snack. Um, so I love how you put auditing your protein because that's one of the the ways that we can regulate our blood sugars, making sure we're eating it consistently throughout the course of the day. So Mm -hmm. that is, um, super important. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to say specifically about nutrition? I was going to hop over to the hormone discussion, but I don't want to leave any stone unturned if you think there's something. Yeah, there are a few. So we talked kind of big view of nutrition with our macronutrients, and I'd love to highlight a few micronutrients. So these are our vitamins, minerals, antioxidants that that can help with consistent neurotransmitter production. So 
in the context of anxiety, the things that I'd be looking at in my clients is, are we getting enough B vitamins, like the entire B complex group, because that's going to help us build and convert and utilize things like serotonin and GABA that you mentioned earlier. Um, Choline, so that would be predominantly from egg yolks, but you can get some from things like grass-fed liver too. Um, And we need that to help improve our brain function and neurotransmitter use. Um, vitamin D is important in this conversation too. And, you know, we're chatting about this in the winter. So this is a time when, you know, people may be dealing with some lower vitamin D levels just because they're not getting any sun. Um, And so that's something that I always have people check as part of their routine blood work is making sure we're not deficient there um, because it does have a direct impact on serotonin levels in the brain based on the research that we have. Um, I'd also be curious to look at somebody's zinc and copper balance if they're dealing with significant anxiety, because if we get that ratio thrown off, it can have some like neuropsychiatric type symptoms. Um, And then magnesium, which I don't think I've ever talked about anything health-wise and not recommended magnesium. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that is just like nature's anti-anxiety, and it's something that's so commonly deficient, and people feel an immediate benefit from adding more anxiety. adding more magnesium to their life. Um, And that's something that I would always be talking about in the context of anxiety. I'm curious, how do you personally like to test for the zinc copper ratio if if you were concerned with that in somebody? I have been using um, DHA labs for that. And so they'll do um, zinc, copper, and ceruloplasmin. And then you can take those numbers to calculate a free copper percentage. Um, I haven't used hair tissue mineral analysis in practice, though I know that that's a great way to assess this too. Do you use that? I don't. I really don't okay. know much about it. I've been asked about yeah. it. I'm like, you know, I, do, I just don't have enough information to speak yep. on that at all. Yep. That's where I'm at too. Okay, cool. That's helpful to know. Um, okay. Those are all really good tips. Now w- let's, let's dive into hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Well, I used to say progesterone was an unsung hero, but I feel mm-hmm. like the tides are starting to turn and, and progesterone is really getting its time in the sun a little yes. bit, <laughs> finally. Um, but I also think that people aren't really, they don't really know about progesterone. Maybe they don't really care about progesterone unless they're, you know, trying to get pregnant. It's just kind of not on our radar for the most part. So can you talk a little bit, give us a kind of a progesterone primer, what it, what it is, how do we produce it? And what is the connection between progesterone and anxiety? Because Mm -hmm. there really is a strong connection there. Huge. And this was a big root cause for me too. So progesterone is, um, it's a sex hormone. So for women, we typically think of estrogen and progesterone as our main two hormones, main two sex hormones, I should say. And so progesterone is only present in the second half of the menstrual cycle and only if we ovulated. So the first half of our menstrual cycle from day one of our period up until ovulation, we've got higher levels of estrogen and that's getting us ready to release an egg at ovulation. And when that happens, the follicle that releases the egg actually becomes its own gland called the corpus luteum, and that creates 100% of our progesterone. So if ovulation didn't happen, or you're on hormonal birth control, which inherently blocks ovulation, there is no progesterone for you. And that was, (laughs) (laughs) it's harsh, but that is just the way that it is. And it was the way for me too. So progesterone is predominant in our second half of our, our menstrual cycle called the luteal phase. And it literally means pro gestation. So it's there to carry a pregnancy should that happen. 
um, if we do not get pregnant in that month, progesterone falls and that actually stimulates the, the start of our next period. Um, there is a massive connection between progesterone and anxiety because progesterone is like our our chill hormone. It's like our natural anti-anxiety. It's a bit of a sleep aid. Um, and it's because it metabolizes into something called allopregnenolone, which binds to GABA receptors in your brain, which we've talked about GABA here and there. And it's our primary inhibitory neurotransmitter. So if you can think of GABA as like slowing things down in the brain, very calming, um, not the opposite, which would be like agitating or revving up. GABA is slowing, calming down, relaxing, and progesterone allows that to happen. So if we don't have enough progesterone around, we are much more likely to experience symptoms of anxiety because we're not getting those benefits of GABA like we would if progesterone was there. So for my anxiety story, um, this was happening because I was on birth control, or at least in part because I was on hormonal birth control for the better part of a decade. So I wasn't benefiting from progesterone. And once I was able to transition off and, and get my body to a place where it could make hormones again, um, it, may, it was like night and day difference with anxiety. So if you are wondering if progesterone is part of your anxiety picture, what to pay attention to would be when are you more prone to anxiety? And if it's that week or two leading up to your period, when you feel like that's happening more and more frequently, there's a really good chance this is part of the picture for you. Um, and I want to highlight what you said, because th I don't think women have a really good uh, construct of our female cycles, because mm -hmm. we're not really taught about them, like unless no. you're actively seeking out the information. And even that, it's like kind of hard to find the information. But our bodies make it a gland. Every month, it like makes a gland to produce amazing. a hormone. It's amazing. It's so incredible. We think about how mean and harsh we are on our bodies. And it's like doing like miracles every month. Miracles. You know? Yes. <laughs> Crazy. Um, okay. So I do at least in my practice, I find that low progesterone is pretty darn common. Mm -hmm. um, what are, so I love what you said about paying attention to where your anxiety falls on your cycle. That's a really good indication that, that low progesterone could be triggering the anxiety. Mm -hmm. What might other signs or symptoms be of low progesterone? Sure. Yeah. So low progesterone symptoms could be really significant PMS. So again, we're thinking about that week or two before your period as being more symptomatic for you than the rest of the month in terms of anxiety, but then also PMS. So this could be cramps, it could be mood changes, it could be headaches or fatigue. Um, heavy, clotty periods are typically a sign of low progesterone because there wasn't enough progesterone around to keep estrogen in check, essentially. Um, poor sleep as you lead into your period can be a sign of low progesterone. If you track your basal body temperature or your temperature first thing in the morning and you don't notice that um, temperature spike that's supposed to happen in your luteal phase, that can mean that progesterone is not as robust as it should be. Um, spotting before your period can be an indicator of that as well. Um, you really just think about focusing in on those two weeks so post-ovulation before your period and looking for symptoms there. And nine times out of 10, any symptoms in that range can be from not enough progesterone. And I think it's important to note that you can be making progesterone, but not benefiting from it if estrogen is out of whack. 
So if estrogen is significantly higher than, than progesterone, it's almost like you don't have progesterone around because you're just not getting the benefits of it with all of that estrogen in there. So that two weeks between ovulation and before your period, take a look at symptoms that are going on there as well as the symptoms that happen during your period. And more often than not, it's because progesterone's not as robust as it should be. Okay, that is all super helpful information. What would, I mean, did you, you already kind of covered some of the reasons for mm-hmm. low progesterone. Um, are, do, are there any others that you could throw out there? Like, why is this sure. such a common thing? Yeah, so not eating enough consistently. Oh. Big old, big old reason <laughs> for low progesterone. Probably the most common one too, just in the population that you and I serve. I see that time and time again. Um, stress. And so not just, you know, the mental, emotional stress that we commonly think of, but really any unchecked source of stress on the body can decrease your production of progesterone. Um, Issues with sleep and circadian rhythm can drop progesterone. And then not having enough of nutrients like B6, magnesium, zinc, and vitamin C can also contribute to that picture too. Right. Because like you were saying earlier, we need those raw materials to build hormones. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, you said neurotransmitters, but also same is true for hormones. And if we're not eating enough or we're just not eating enough of the right foods, we're not, you know, eating a nutrient dense diet. That's, that's really going to impact our hormones in a major way. Yes. And I think the last thing I'd add to that list would be, um, issues with your thyroid can throw off progesterone production. There's, there's a relationship between progesterone and your thyroid, um, and that relationship is why you get a temperature rise in the luteal phase. And so if there's something going on with your thyroid, sometimes it can affect progesterone and vice versa. So that should definitely be part of that picture if it's something you're investigating. Absolutely. And then what about, we're talking about hormones. I know that birth control is mm-hmm. one of your jump offs. You do a lot mm-hmm. of free education around birth control and um, is there a link between birth control or even coming off birth control and anxiety that, that women should be aware of? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we touched on the fact that hormonal birth control means that you don't make progesterone. So that alone has a big, big impact on whether or not you experience anxiety. Um, the added problem here is that the synthetic pill hormones, so Ethanyl estradiol is a synthetic estrogen, and then progestins are the synthetic progesterone that's present in hormonal birth control, can cause or can increase risk for depression or anxiety. So it's like a double whammy that you get there. You're not getting your natural hormone production yourself, and then you're dealing with these synthetic hormones that can cause symptoms of their own. So it doesn't cause this in every single woman. And I always want to reiterate that I'm not out there to like make everybody stop birth control or feel bad about using it. I just think you should have all the information that you need to know. And for me personally, like no symptoms were ever explained to me when I was put on it. And I was dealing with pretty much like textbook, anything you could deal with, with adverse symptoms from birth control and anxiety being one of them and really feeling like I was doing something wrong. And it's just important to know that if you're having mood changes and you're on hormonal birth control, it's worth exploring some other options because there are other options out there. It's like the conversation that we were having privately before the show started. It's like, yes. how can we be expected to make informed consent or give informed consent when we don't have the information? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and I, I think people, I've seen it anyway, um, on Instagram and other places of 
people coming down hard on physicians and dietitians and other healthcare providers who are speaking out against mm-hmm. birth control. They're like, that's so irresponsible and it's not true. And all you guys are doing is just saying, here's the information. You, you get to make your own decision, your body, your decision, but here's the information so you can make the right decision for you. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. For sure. Yeah. It's, it, we just, like you said, I mean, you summarized it perfectly. You have to have information for informed consent. You do. It's essential. It's essential. It's, a, it's part <laughs> it's of the work. part of informed consent. Um, all right. Here, I know this is a juicy one to dive into, and I know people will be stoked to hear more about this. It's a big topic, so just have at it, whatever you want to talk about. But um, there's a big connection between our gut and our brain, our gut and our mood. And mm-hmm. so therefore, there's obviously going to be some interplay with what's going on in our gut and whether or not we're experiencing anxiety. So can you can you touch upon some things here? Sure. Yeah. So the gut is a big player in this anxiety conversation. And I want to reiterate that that's important for you to pay attention to, even if you're not having significant digestive symptoms, because you don't always have digestive symptoms when there's an issue in the digestive tract. I'd say more often than not, there are some, but a lot of times people will have other manifestations of digestive problems, and anxiety is one of those that I see pretty frequently. And the real basis for why the gut can cause anxiety is that there is like a two-way communication highway between the gut and the brain via something called the vagus nerve. And we used to think that everything was top down, like the brain gives instructions to the gut and that was it as far as communication goes. But we now know that actually that communication goes both ways. So the gut is giving information to the brain and vice versa, which is pretty crazy. And they're actually finding, you know, people that have digestive issues, they'll find um, like endotoxins from bad gut bugs in people's brains. So like there's a lot of passing back and forth that goes on between the gut and the brain. Um, And then on top of that, the majority of the production of serotonin, like 90% of it actually happens in your gut, not in your brain. So if we've got something going on in the gut and it's impairing our production of serotonin, we're going to have mood symptoms as a result. Um, We can say the same thing for melatonin actually too. So Sleep issues could be coming from an issue in the gut. And then we've talked a lot about nutrition and anxiety and needing to absorb key vitamins and minerals um, in order to make our feel-good neurotransmitters. So if gut health isn't up to par, we're not getting that nutrient extraction from our food. So we could be eating or supplementing really well, but not benefiting if our gut health's not top-notch. Um, And then the last piece there is really just any inflammation going on in your gut means that there's some inflammation and stress on the brain. So if we haven't taken the time to rule out gut issues or just given our gut some TLC, because if you exist in society today, like your gut just needs a little bit of love from you on a regular basis. If we haven't ruled that out, definitely should be part of your, you know, anxiety investigation for yourself because it makes a big difference. Yeah, um, a lot of people are now familiar with the term leaky gut, but Mm -hmm. not everybody has heard the term leaky brain, which is kind Mm -hmm. of a similar phenomenon. I hate the term because it just like, it sounds really gross. I I know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's a massive uh, connection there. And I think, you know, I don't think we really think about brain health until we start to age. Um, Mm -hmm. 
it, it doesn't feel as important as as an important and maybe I'm just speaking for myself as a 35 year old woman I, I shouldn't just make that broad sweeping comment but I, I tend to notice the people that are asking me about brain health are really you know people in their 50s and their 60s mm-hmm. uh, or older but we have to start now because exactly like you said, if there's any inflammation or stuff going on in the gut, like that's, it's going to happen in the brain too. And Mm -hmm. we need to get ahead of that. Like now, like right now, right. We want to drop inflammation in the whole body, including the brain. Um, you, you mentioned neurotransmitters quite a bit. Do you do any specific testing? Do you think that's a valuable tool? Is that something you do in your practice? Tell me, talk a little bit more about that or do you go based off of symptoms? Yeah. So the only direct, or I guess it's still technically indirect, but the only assessment of neurotransmitters that I have on a on a regular basis would be the organic acids that are part of the Dutch test, um, which is a helpful look. They had a serotonin marker on there that they no longer have, which is a bit of a bummer, but they took it out because it just required like kind of a ridiculous list of foods that you had to avoid, and it just wasn't worth doing that to people. Um, so I look at it there. I look a lot at copper and zinc balance because it does have a big role in all of this too. And then I do like to use, um, have you read the book, The Mood Cure by any chance? I haven't, no. So you should add that. I know you're constantly reading and you probably have a list of like a hundred that are in line, but add that one one to the back. (laughs) So it's by Julia Ross. um, And it's just a great read. Even if you're not a practitioner, this is a great read for better understanding um, some of the root causes of mood issues. And there's a great quiz in there. So you can actually find the quiz online. If you just Google like the mood cure quiz um, and it can classify your symptoms under umbrellas of key neurotransmitter deficiencies. So it can help you get a little bit more direction on what might be a root cause for you. So I often use that um, in conjunction with some testing to just get a better picture there. Because I always love being able to lump symptoms together and and trying to find patterns. And that quiz has been really helpful. That's really good to know. Um, Apex Energetics also has a neurotransmitter form. Have you seen that one? I'm wondering if there's some overlap between the two. I haven't used it, but I would imagine. It's really good. It's it's pretty comprehensive. Um, and that's good to know about the Dutch test. Well, um, for those folks who are looking to do a Dutch test. And I, I will say that I don't, I don't just, it sounds like you're in a similar boat, which is why I'm saying this. I don't always take the organic acid section mm-hmm. of that, that test at face value. I'm always comparing them to like, to, you know, uh, the that intake form and then also what people are experiencing in yeah. real life too. Yep. Um, I don't know what, what it is about the organic acid. I, I've heard somebody planted a seed that it's not super duper, um, not legit, but what's the word? Um, accurate. Mm-hmm. And so I've like been a little squirrely about it. But if, if that syncs up with what the person is actually experiencing, then I think it's all systems go. Yes, we're totally in alignment on that. It's like lab testing alone doesn't carry a lot of weight, but it's like that plus symptoms. And now now we're talking about something. Now we're cooking with gas. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you talked a lot about different causes and mm-hmm. different triggers. One thing that we didn't touch upon that I think it's worth throwing out there, and we certainly don't have time to unpack this whole thing, but trauma mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is children of alcoholics yeah. tend to be very anxious adults, um, trying to control the situation, right? They need to know what to expect. 
Um, so that's something to be, you know, there's certainly life circumstances that can kind of set you up for anxiety later on in adulthood. So Mm -hmm. we're really talking more about, um, like what's going on physiologically in the body, but of course, you know, all of the, the the situational stuff in your life needs to be investigated as well. Um, but let's talk about if somebody's listening, they're like, I have anxiety. I want to know what is causing my anxiety. What's the best way to figure out their personal triggers? Where, where can they start? I'm assuming the first place isn't to just jump into lab testing, although that can be very right. valuable. Yeah. Um, so the first thing to do, cause it will be so helpful if you do decide to do some lab testing or work with a practitioner, it'll be helpful if you've already done this. Um, just start getting really curious about your symptoms and like, treat your health like some true crime you're investigating, like take notes of when these things happen. And when you notice symptoms of anxiety, what were you doing the couple hours before? Did you sleep well the night before? Has it been six hours since you've had something to eat? Are you close to your period? Did something happen with your family? Just taking detailed notes of when these things happen can really help you narrow down what might be the cause. So as an example for that, if you notice that these symptoms are worse as you get closer to your period, that can help you clue in on progesterone is probably part of the conversation for you. Whereas if this is something happening every single day, and maybe it's happening in the afternoon, um, are we looking at maybe low blood sugar because you haven't eaten anything since lunch? Or is there some stuff going on at work that means that you've just really got to ramp up your stress management game, or maybe even consider a new job if that's an option for you? So figuring out when it happens and when you're most prone to it can be, it is the most important first step there. And then if you do decide to work with a practitioner or do any testing, you've got this backlog of information that's so helpful. Like I love when a new client comes to me with this kind of information that they've already tracked. For sure. It's super helpful. Mm -hmm. And it just puts you in more lockstep with your body, you know? Yeah. Like what's going, like check in with yourself, right? What's happening right now? I love figuring out patterns within my own body. Yep. Um, And then I also, this popped into my head and I also want to say that when, and you kind of touched on this already, so this might be a bit redundant, but I think is worth repeating. When you are going through life stress, right? If there's, Mm -hmm. if let's say you do work in a job that you hate or there is something pressing that's going on, um, you really have to shore up all the other things that Kaylee was talking about, you know, dial in your nutrition, you know, now is not the time to diet. Now is not the time to fast. Make sure you're eating, make sure you're regulating your blood sugar. That's going to go a lot, a long way in preventing anxiety, despite going through a stressful time. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. And I'm glad you mentioned the idea of of exploring trauma too. Cause like you mentioned, we're not going to be able to unpack all of that in in today's session, but it's definitely part of the picture. Um, So is working on on your mindset, like your thoughts and beliefs. And I know for me personally, I used to say like, I'm an anxious person and I would say it all the time. And it was like, I was telling my body, like, this is you, like, this is your identity. This is your label. And I found it to be really helpful to reframe that into like, I deal with symptoms of anxiety on an occasional basis versus making that an identity for me. Um, so that's something worth, you know, noodling over if that's something that you find yourself thinking. I love that. And I'm glad that you brought it up. Do you have any, um, favorite mindset resources? I know you and I both love like really anything Joe Dispenza does. (laughs) Yes. Fact. Yes. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, and I often recommend like his books as kind of a starting point into that realm of how important your thoughts and beliefs are on your health journey. Because if you don't think something's possible for you or that you're deserving of it, like those things just don't happen. So taking some time to check in there too um, is definitely part of this combo. I feel like we could do a whole podcast episode on oh, mindset man. stuff. Yes. <laughs> we probably should. It's so good. I, yeah, I, I, you, I like to tell people to, um, you are the, excuse me, you are the placebo is, mm-hmm. I think is a really good one. I feel like the supernatural one is pretty dense Ooh, as like a beginner book. <laughs> it took me so long to get through it and took me two times reading it before I was like, oh, okay, here we are. Um, <laughs> and I haven't read his first one, um, the, the placebo was the first one that I read. Yeah. And then that breaking the habit of being yourself, I think is the one you're thinking of yep. is, is yeah. really good too. I mean, his stuff is dense, but for me, because like I came up through science and like that, I like there to be data. And sometimes this like mindset, mind body stuff can feel a little out there or a little abstract. He does a really good job of backing that up with research that's available or research he collects Um, And I just found it to be such a better gateway to that kind of stuff versus, I don't know, just jumping right into meditating and not understanding what it was doing. 100%. I could not agree with you more. And I wonder, are you a questioner? Have you ever done Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies? I have. You know, I'm not a questioner, which I think I had expected myself to be. I was an upholder. Yeah, upholder. Okay. Um, I, I am a very big questioner, so yeah, I, I, can I see like, that. yeah, I like the research to back up. It just helps to lock it in for me. I'm more apt to follow through with things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I love Joe Dispenza. Cause I'm like this, I understand what's happening and why this works. So I'm going to be more apt to actually do it. Exactly. Same. Okay. So let's, um, I'm sure this is going to be a tricky question to answer and it kind of depends on what is going on you know, what your root causes, what your triggers are, all of that. But do you have any basic supplementation that you find to be really helpful for folks dealing with anxiety or is it much more um, dependent on what they're experiencing? Yeah, I mean, obviously these things are always individualized, but I do think that there are some baseline things people can try. Um, And just as a disclaimer, like you have to be eating enough and keeping your blood sugar balanced for these to do anything for you. So that's definitely where you would start, like our the conversation we had in the beginning of today's episode. But um, magnesium, for sure, would have somebody try magnesium. Um, and they could do it during times of heightened stress during the day or just before bed. Um, but that can make a really big difference. If anxiety episodes are happening consistently and are pretty severe, I might have someone try um, L-theanine or GABA. Those can be really helpful and pretty quick acting. And then um, probably would have somebody take some B vitamins as well um, and play around with that, though you want to be careful with mega dosing any of those in case it actually had the opposite effect. So I'd say like magnesium would be for sure across the board and then L-theanine and GABA can be tried. Um, And then I'd follow that with some B, B complex. Yep. I I couldn't agree more. Um, That's, and I do see people have pretty good luck with Mm L-theanine. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm surprised at how well it works for a lot of folks. Um, question for you. I know that you're doing uh, a training in herbalism right now. Yeah. How, do you have any thoughts on nervines or do, have you found those to be helpful? Yeah. So I have not started 
implementing these things like in terms of teas and tinctures in my clients, um, but I've definitely played around with them for myself. And then I experiment on my husband repeatedly. So, of course. Um, <laughs> so I've been making like a Nervine tea blend from the course that I'm in. And so it's um, like lavender and lemon balm and chamomile, like those typical calming herbs. And I really, really like that and think it would be such a nice, gentle way for people to incorporate some calming herbs into their day-to-day life, like in a nice cup of tea, which sipping tea is calming and relaxing on its own. Um, so those have been really helpful. And then a couple other ones that are highlighted in this course that I'm in would be to play around with things like St. John's wort potentially, though that's not for everybody. Um, And then even like some adrenal adaptogens could potentially be part of the picture for people. And so experimenting with these things, keeping notes on how you feel, um, just adding to this big like investigative picture that you're building on yourself. And um, Amy McKelvey is the CEO of Her Vital Way, and she's been on the show a couple of times and we've become pals throughout the years. And things that she's that she's helped me understand with herbs I, we sometimes go to herbs and treat them like pharmaceuticals and mm-hmm. expect them to act like pharmaceuticals like i take you know a tylenol or and and then it's or you know i take up i pop an ativan and then my anxiety's gone right mm-hmm. and they don't really work up the, work that way and she kind of explains you have to like build these up in your system and you have to kind of like low dose yourself every day and sort of like continue to expose yourself to these different herbs for them to really have um, the profound effect that they can have. And that was helpful for me to hear because Mm -hmm. that's not how I was using herbs. Um, And another thing that she said to me for all the anxious Annie's out there, she was like, you just might be one of those people. And she said this to me privately, this was on a podcast, so I want to say it here, um, who just needs uh, nerving support mm-hmm. ongoing for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. And that was such a big, like aha moment and almost like a permission. You know, she kind of gave me permission to do that because I was sort of viewing this anxiety thing as like a set it and forget it. Like I'm going to fix the anxiety and then I'm going to move on. And right. it's really much more of an interactive, like how you said, like it's a litmus test. If the anxiety flares, it's time to do some investigative work on the life. And, and I, I really appreciate that stance. Oh, yeah. And that's a great way to put it about herbs, too, to not treat them like medications. And these things are more effective over time. And really, this whole conversation about anxiety is is really just an opportunity to really check in with yourself and audit your diet, your lifestyle, all of those factors, and then build a routine that really supports you well. And if you notice symptoms creeping through, it just means that we need to tweak a few things. And that's normal in different seasons of life. Like That will always be changing. The important part is that you're listening to these things and making little adjustments. Well, I think that's a really uh, positive note to close out on. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kaylee, thank you. You're like I said at the start. You're such a wealth of knowledge. You always come through with such good stuff, and um, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Why don't you tell people where they can find more of you and your work? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram. Um, it's at Kaylee RD. My name's spelled weird. It's K-A-E-L-Y. Um, and then my website's the same, so kayleerd.com. And then I do also run an online course and community with another dietitian, um, and it's called Her Hormones Academy. So it's all things women's health, and you can find that on Instagram at Her Hormones Academy. Yeah, you, you're such good stuff. So thank you again mm-hmm. for coming on the show and gracing us with the inside of your brain. Of course, it's my pleasure. I love chatting with you, so always open to it. <laughs> 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you. Okay, cool. Thank you.